Welcome to the Full Press Fantasy Pod, part of the Full Press Radio Network and Full Press Coverage. I'm your host, Kyle Senra, and joining me is Alessandro Senator, my co-host. How are you doing? Doing pretty good, Kyle. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, pretty great as well. Probably not as great as the Chiefs and Chiefs fans are feeling, but uh, still still a pretty good. <laughs> probably better than 49ers fans are feeling right now. And Braden, Braden's probably going to be feeling really good about himself right now. He's probably really happy. Yeah. Uh, so if you didn't, if you don't know, uh, there was a Super Bowl just a couple days ago at the time of this recording. We're recording this on uh, Tuesday, February 4th. So uh, almost about 48 hours ago, the kickoff was just a little bit less than that. Um, and yeah, uh, we had quite an, uh, an intense contest. And I, as we had mentioned, and I've mentioned kind of everywhere, I know I was certainly looking forward to this perceived best offense versus best defense matchup. And, um, you know, I wouldn't say it was the greatest Super Bowl ever, but I, I thought it was pretty entertaining. It was close. Uh, a lot of drama at the end. I think it, uh, you know, well worth uh, well worth the wait of, of, of a great season to you know be capped off by a great Super Bowl. Oh, yeah, I um, I thoroughly enjoyed this Super Bowl. I mean, like, like you said, great offense versus a very great defense. And, um, and you even mentioned about the end. Look, I'll get to that later on, but just real quick. Did <laughs> their offense, their defense, real dirty on that? I really think they did them real dirty. dirty and I just – yeah, I, it, it, it just – it's shocking to me about what happened – with all of it because, you know, just, you know, how it went down and what we saw versus what we thought we were going to see, it's just, it was different than what I expected. But then again, you know, that's how it ran. Uh, anyway, so the, the Chiefs did end up winning 31-20, uh, although they were down 20-10 to entering the fourth quarter. It's only the third time in history that a team uh, has a double-digit lead entering the fourth quarter and loses it. And all three have been, you know, in the past, this past decade, 2014, Patriots-Seahawks, 2016, Patriots-Falcons, and then this year. So, you know, new offenses, new new NFL, it kind of, it can make these games more exciting at the end. Uh, but yeah, I mean, slow, you know, slow start considering how well both these offenses had been performing, certainly the, how the, well the 49ers had been running the football. For it to be 10-10 at halftime, you'd think, okay, yeah, definitely both defenses are you know, really doing well, and, you know, the Chiefs had 10 points entering the fourth quarter, finished with 31, 21 points in a quarter, no big deal, right? And it was, honestly, I think it was about half a quarter, yeah, because the, the first score they had was 6-17 six, six, left, so, you know, they, they were, they, they not only put up 21 points in a quarter, they put up 21 points in half a quarter. <laughs> so, uh, that's, that's the Chiefs offense, it, you know, they can score from anywhere, really, or they can, you know, quickly cover a lot of ground in just a few plays. Look, I mean, you, you ain't kidding, man. Like, you give that ball to Patrick Mahomes, he, he challenges Russell Wilson and makes that magic. Absolutely. Um, I almost wonder if he surpassed Wilson at this point. We'll see. That they, I, I, honestly, if you're asking me, I think those are the two best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Uh, yes, Lamar Jackson, what he did this year, historic. But uh, I'll take a better throwing quarterback than the best rushing quarterback ever, potentially. That was, and that was the th- the same thing I said with uh, <clears throat> sorry, Titans Chiefs entering that the AFC Championship game. Give me the unstoppable 
Chiefs pass offense over the unstoppable Titans run defense just because as we saw in, in this game at the end some of those big plays and really one big play in particular to to Tyreek Hill but uh that you know that type of quick score offense that type of really explosive passing ability could flip a game completely I think the next thing to do is that we are the full press fantasy pod welcome <laughs> um so let's talk the fantasy let's talk the numbers so start with the 49ers Garoppolo went 20 for 31, definitely wasn't only eight pass attempts, uh, eclipsed the 200 yards that we were all debating about, uh, one touchdown, two interceptions, uh, just a pair of rushing attempts for two yards, so nothing major there, uh, Raheem Mostert ended up with 58 yards on the ground and a rushing touchdown, also caught a pass for two yards, Tevin Coleman, the other running back, 28 uh, rush yards, one catch, three yards, nothing major there, the, the leading... Uh, scrimmage performer for the 49ers was Debo Samuel, 53 yards rushing, uh, just five yards less than Mostert on a quarter of the carries, and uh, I believe he had the, uh, never mind, Damian Williams at the end had the longest run of the game, but his, Debo Samuel's 32-yard run for, for the first 50, first 58 minutes of the game was the longest, <laughs> something happened late, um, Samuel also caught five passes, uh, nine targets, both of, both of which led the 49ers in the Super Bowl uh, for 39 yards. Three yards short of the team-high 42 from Kendrick Bourne. Um, Garoppolo's receiving touchdown came from none other than Kyle Juszczyk, who caught uh, three passes for 39 yards. Samuel went three for 38. Kittle, four for 37. Or four for 36, sorry, on seven targets. Jeff Wilson even caught a pass for 20 yards. Uh, on the Chiefs' side now, Mahomes, 26 for 42. 286 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, uh, nine rush attempts for 29 yards, and a touchdown there. Damian Williams, as I mentioned, he had the 104 yards on the ground, led the game in rushing, uh, as well as a rushing touchdown. It was a 38-yarder with, you know, about a minute and a half left to basically ice the game. At that point, it was it was 24-20 when he made that run, that 38-yarder at the end, and that 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 put it away. Uh, Williams also caught another pass for a touchdown. Uh, caught four passes actually for 29 yards. And the score, uh, Mahomes' second receiving touchdown. The other one went to Travis Kelsey, 43 yards in the touchdown. Caught all six targets, actually. Tyreek Hill was targeted a whopping 16 times. Came up with nine of them for 105 yards. Watkins also came in and put up some big yards. Uh, six targets, five catches, 98 yards. Not much left for anyone else. Uh, Blake Bell caught a pass for nine yards. McCole Hardman caught a pass for two yards. Um, so, yeah, nothing major there. Darwin Thompson had uh, a... A carry and a target produced zero yards in the carry and didn't catch his target. So literally, it takes a zero as a fantasy total, um, which I we may have expected. I don't even. I I think one target, one attempt was more than I was expecting he would get. But uh, yeah, it, uh, the one thing I want to say about this game, I think the Chiefs' defense really did did the job here. So outside of Debo Samuel, he had a big run. He had a thirty-two yard run uh, on an end around. You take that away. Uh, he only ends up with 20, 21 yards. Suddenly, the the 49ers as a team only end up with just just a hundred yards rushing, like like almost exactly a hundred actually. Uh, it'd be it used to be a hundred and nine yards, you know. And then of course you have that that end around by Samuel, it, it increases it, but. Uh, for the most part, they, I felt they held held the interior run game in check. That was something we we were all kind of expecting might be the one weakness for the Chiefs. Is uh, are they going to allow big yardage on the ground? And uh, Mostert and Coleman both had seventeen yard runs. 
but yeah, nothing, nothing beyond that too much. Uh, you know, the, again, each, each of those three players, Mostert, Coleman and Sammy, we each kind of had one big run, but then not much else after that. Everything kind of came through the air more. So I think huge kudos goes to the Chiefs defense, uh, held, holding the 49ers to zero points in the fourth quarter and allowing that uh, explosive offense to get back in it. Because again, that was the one thing we were going to talk about this is this you know is this defense going to let the Chiefs down and and it didn't did they were they were arguably the best unit for the Chiefs through you know at least through sixty minutes maybe fourth quarter <laughs> that offense was was quite spectacular. Of course it was. It's, it's the Chiefs. I mean, come on, man. They they they've been doing everything spectacular all year. But uh, if we're talking fancy this game, then you know we definitely got to break it down a little bit. Um. When uh, talking about this game, you see the different quarterbacks, the different styles. I know, I know they had different yardage totals and everything, but um, so when, while I was watching this game, you know me, I always like to break it down as if I'm doing, you know, fancy, uh, fancy, um, you know, draft fighting against my friends and all that. So. And and, and, the, and my numbers could be wrong, so just you know, bear with me here. Jimmy G, if we were doing this in fantasy format, he would have scored ten point seven six. I'm going for the full number here, ten point seven six fantasy points, and Mahomes would have scored nineteen point four four. That's <laughs> the difference. There is Mahomes had more yards, and he had one more touchdown, even though they both Whoa. had two interceptions. Are you just counting Mahomes passing there? Are you counting his rush touchdown and those 19 points as well? Uh, no, that's just straight passing. Strict passing, yeah. And then Garoppolo didn't do anything on the ground. Two yards, whereas Mahomes, he, he put up almost 10 points on the ground with a, you know, depending on your fantasy scoring, but 10 fantasy points with a 20 yards and a touchdown. But yeah, absolutely. It was definitely, uh, Mahomes is very clearly the best, better quarterback to play. And I know in sites, like, I, we go back to the DFS, that fan duel, People who played Garoppolo and FanDuel probably weren't really happy, and I, I wonder if a lot of the people who had a lot of success in FanDuel were those who di- who avoided Garoppolo and that and that elevated price where he was the second highest player on the slate. Whereas DraftKings, you know, you could stomach it because he was he was cheaper. I mean, he was the third most expensive on his own team, and like, I think it was seventh overall. Well, I, I tell you what, because I actually did DraftKings. I I downloaded it and I did DraftKings. Okay. Um, they they. I decided. I said, "Why not?" Um, Kittle was the either second or third most selected player, and he was, according to DraftKings, ice cold. And you know, for obvious reasons, we saw why. But you know, taking him, you just used up a chunk of your money trying to do things, and he he didn't do nothing for you, which really hurts. Really hurts. Because I, I, I even picked him. Yeah, I mean, I had him in a lot of lineups, too. Uh, the lineups I seemed to have mo- more success with were those that had Mahomes-Williams, which wasn't a stack. I, I, used, I didn't. Williams was, I think, the second most expensive player on DraftKings this week, so I didn't end up getting a whole lot of him. And I, don't, I didn't do that well this week. I think it was really Damian Williams was that guy that... I mean, I think I had Mahomes in every single lineup. So that, you know, he did well. Of course he did well, but I'm pretty sure everyone, <laughs> almost everyone would have had him. But Damian Williams, I think, was the player that, because of his elevated price, his ownership was probably a little bit lower than for other players. 
So, uh, I mean, just I mean, just to compare Williams to Kittle, I think there was a, a $1,400 difference between the two. That seems pretty significant, and enough that, in, especially in this format, where you're trying to maximize as much high-end as you can, I definitely had way more Kittle than Williams, so I, I get it. Oh, yeah, I mean, uh, I did one that favored the Chiefs, and I did one that favored the uh, 49ers, and neither one of them did for me because it was you know, other guys, you know, I, I chose McCall Harmon because I thought he was going to have a breakout game and I did Tyreek Hill. Well, you know, Hill helped me, but McCall Harmon killed me. And I think that was the uh, the biggest thing going forward, you know, between the two. I Actually, yeah, I think my the three players I had the most exposure to on DraftKings, Mahomes, again, every single lineup I put Mahomes in. Hardman was almost every single lineup. I can't remember the exact percentage, but it was it was almost 100%. So, you know, I had a ton of exposure to those two, and then I think Kittle was probably the, the third guy. So, yeah. Yeah, not a great uh, not a great DFS week, and uh, I'll uh, I'll get back on that DraftKings horse when the CFL season comes. Cuz I know I know that's where I I'm I'm a lot more successful. Or at least that's I have been more successful. I don't, we'll we'll find out this year, but at least in the past, that's where I've made more on DraftKings is through CFL stuff. Less people playing, it just easier chance to to ca- win, especially in cash games. I find. Oh yeah, it's definitely you know, do do play to your strengths. I'm going to probably be doing the XFL league, but you know, that's just me because I want I want to see how it is. Brand new league, no one really knows what's going to happen. I mean, there's a few favorites from the NFL that you'll know, but no one that'll definitely, you know, help. You know what I'm saying? And before recording, we were talking about that. It's a great chance to just get in on the ground floor and, and really, you know, start help creating those trends and see where the, the advantages could be had. So, yeah, definitely applaud that right away. Yeah. But um, anyways, back to, you know, doing the, the this fancy thing. So, like I said, I broke it down towards player and everything. And for the 49ers, the biggest players – were Jimmy G, Rasheem Mostert, and Debo Samuel. Everyone else had single, uh, excuse me, and Kyle Jusic. But, you know, the, again, uh, adding a fullback, even if in DFS, is tricky because you don't know if he's just going to be a blocker or he's going to be in the game or whatever because they always like to throw that little wrinkle in on you. And um, so, yeah, so uh, Jimmy G, Mostert, and Debo were the biggest scorers. Uh, Jimmy G had 10.76, Mozart had 12.8, and Debo had 14.3 would-be fantasy points in this game. Well, how much did you check at? Because he scored a touchdown. He had 13. I, I, I did. A no, this is a normal PPR setting that I did. When you go over to Chiefs, you know, Mahomes, factoring his rushing touchdown and everything, he had 28.44 fantasy points total. Um Damien Williams did better at 29.4 because he had 104 yards, 17 carries, one touchdown, and he also had four catches for 29 yards and a, and a receiving touchdown. So he, he put up a good number of points there. Um, uh, whatchamacallit. Um, so, and then uh, the next person down from that would be Travis Kelsey at 16.3. Um Tyree Kill also had 19.5 between his yardage and receptions. You know, 9 for 16, you better be catching them yards. <laughs> um, Sammy Watkins was the next big scorer after that at 14.8. And then 
Thompson and Hartman both had one point each for their reception. So, um, all in all, it's it, it wasn't great, but it wasn't that bad. And because and I know Mahomes fumbled, but because he did not lose the fumble, it was not counted against him. Um, same thing with Damian Williams; they 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 had fumbles, but they recovered it, so it wasn't a lot of 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 um, lost fumble. The excuse me. Um, looking at both defenses. That, that's a whole lot of numbers to track. The only thing I will say is that, you know, San Fran had four sacks versus the Chiefs one sack, and that's huge because that one sack was pretty much the, at the end of the game that sealed it versus the 49ers who were just attacking Mahomes all night long. And, you know, we all thought that they may struggle against a mobile quarterback, but they did pretty good. They did pretty good, but in the end it just wasn't enough. And uh, going back to what I said earlier about the 49ers offense, you know, hurting the 49ers defense, Jimmy G couldn't get anything going. It looked like a bunch of three and outs or three and downs, and it it, it hurt their offense as a total. And, you know, when you, when you, when you get your guys on the sideline, they, they want to get that sip of Gatorade, man. They, they, they need time to rest, and when you go in three and out after they just put up a stop, it hurts. And, and I mean, you, you just got to keep chugging with it, but they got to do something different. To be honest, I actually thought Garoppolo outplayed Mahomes for most of the game. It was it was not a very good game from a home standard. Uh, you know the especially that that one interception uh, where he was targeting Hill, and I think it was Ward that came up with it. That was brutal. I mean, that either it was either he didn't see that linebacker there at all, or he just completely missed on the pass. And then a, a few plays later, he also had a you know on the next possession, he had just a uh, it was a not a screen pass, a quick slant pass to throw. And just completely nowhere near the receiver at all. It was only 10 yards away. Didn't look like the ball was tipped. Didn't look like there was anyone in his face. So there was a few really uncharacteristic misses by Mahomes. And I thought Garoppolo actually played pretty well. Um, I didn't think his interceptions were as bad as Mahomes. Like, you know, it was more good, you know, great plays by the def- the, the defense. And, uh, you know, the last one, you're, you're, you're forcing it at the end. It's not as bad. But then the fourth quarter came and suddenly Mahomes, you know, greatly outplayed Garoppolo in, in one quarter. And obviously that was the difference. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I was a little curious that Mahomes got the Super Bowl MVP. Um, I was, I was thinking about Damian Williams. I know that seems like the obvious answer to, to who would have been. It was Mahomes. going around, man. <laughs> you know, a, a pair of touchdowns, a uh, hundred yards on the ground. Again, iced it with that 38 yarder at the end. Um, you know, if he doesn't score there, 49ers have a, have a shot if they can get a stop on that drive, get the ball back. Um, but yeah, uh, again, you know, play in the fourth quarter obviously mattered for that MVP voting. And, uh, it's funny because both quarterbacks had a chance at a, a deep shot, you know, late when their teams were down to try and come back and Mahomes hit it to Hill. Even that though, he, was you pure know, luck. well, it well, wasn't around and he just chucked it up there as soon as he stopped spinning yeah which again if he could have put more arm on that he'll probably scores because he's wide open um you know good adjustment by hill to come back and get it but ultimately you know the throw was great it got completed but it could have been better that could have been a touchdown right there if, if uh you know if wasn't being pressured which again great job by the 49ers pass rush to 
make Mahomes uncomfortable for, for a good chunk of that game. Garoppolo also had a shot to Sanders late, and he overthrew him. Again, another thing where the Chiefs defense got in his face. Uh, that happened a few times where he kind of rushed, rushed his throw motion a little bit to not, you know, so he would throw before getting hit. By doing it, it seemed like he would release the ball a little too soon or it would have too high of a trajectory or just maybe too much arm strength on it. Maybe he's he's thinking he's going to get hit, so he overcompensates and puts more on it. But there were a few times when Garoppolo was also flat out missing because he was getting guys in his face and hitting him. And that last play to Sanders or that play to Sanders towards the end uh, where Sanders is open, he gets by both those defenders. If he comes up with that football, he's probably scoring or you know, at the least it's going to be first to goal. But very likely scoring a touchdown there. But uh, Garoppolo wasn't even wasn't even really anywhere close. He he overshot him by I don't know fifteen yards about. Something like that. I think he was trying to hit him in stride. I think uh, Sanders slowed down. You know, it could be overshot, but you know, I think I think Sanders slowed down from the looks of it because he was trying to find where the ball is, and then he realized he was, you know, too far back from where yeah. he thought he was. No, there was nothing. Honestly, there was, Sanders did everything on that play. He again, he was he he beat both his corner and he was past the safety as well. Uh, he again, he was the he was the furthest man, and uh, just not far enough. But yeah, I think I think in both cases, uh, the, you know, the receivers for the Chiefs really helped Mahomes. Um, I remember there was one play Watkins. I think it was that big thirty-eight yarder. Uh, a beautiful double move on Sherman. He got inside, outside on Sherman. Like, not a lot of corners can do that. I mean, I mean not a lot of receivers can do it against that particular corner. So, uh, you know, he was kind of showing, well, this, maybe that's why Buffalo traded up to draft him fourth overall. Uh, it only took uh, how, many, how many years? <laughs> Six years? Uh, but, we, you know, we saw it there. And, uh, you know, Watkins made some really clutch clutch plays. I remember that was the guy that Braden really talked about before. Braden Holacek, our FPC Chiefs managing editor is someone who he thought was really going to be needed to step up. And I think he did a, a phenomenal job because uh, Mahomes didn't target Sherman often. So that was one of the few times that Sherman actually saw a target come his way. And uh, great play by Watkins. And uh, Watkins had a report come out earlier saying that um, uh, he was watching Devontae Adams burn Sherman and he and he just studied the tape and saw how he could burn him, and uh, mm-hmm. so when he did that cut in route and then back out to burn Sherman and just go for those yardage, you know, he definitely uh, showed that. Because yeah, Adams did that two weeks ago to get that big uh, catch. I think it ended up being about sixty yards, uh, which I think was actually their longest pass play of the year or, or his longest pass play of the year. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> hey, my, I. I here, here's me bringing the Jets into it. Uh, Revis, when he called out Sherman, you know, pointed this out exactly. You know, after Devontae Adams burned him and Watkins listened to Revis, watched the tape, saw how to do it, and burned him even more. And, you know, no one wants to listen because all they see is just smoke given to one another. But you know, he's, he's not wrong. Yeah, and I mean, Sherman had a phenomenal season this year, which I think makes it more impressive. It's not just, you know, it's not that he's not a great player at all. Watkins just, you know, Watkins made a great move on a great corner who was uh, an all-pro this year. So, uh, you know, again, kudos to him who in the biggest game of his career came came to play. Uh, was there anything else you want to talk about this game? Uh, I, I, I think I, you know, gave the Chiefs run defense their credit. Yeah, now the only thing I want to finish with is, you know, like I said, 
that 49ers defense, they, they did such a good thing until they ran out of gas and Jimmy Garoppolo couldn't, you know, stay out on the field. They've been they've been pounding the rock this entire time. They've been pounding the rock, pounding the rock, pounding the rock, and yet they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't do it this entire time. Well, I think it's not that they wouldn't. I think they couldn't do it. That was the problem. The Chiefs, the Chiefs weren't letting them. They weren't able to get first downs on the ground. Not like we saw last week, where I mean, Packers Swiss cheese run defense. Just everything was a first down every time you touched it. Well, I mean, they they were able to do it with Debo, and you know, they they needed to go back to it because Debo created yeah. that great mismatch. And you know, shout out to the South Carolina board Debo Samuel, but um, he created that mismatch and. You know, he was able to get it rolling, and I think it's the best. And if they would have done that a little bit more, or they would have done that like a, a reverse, like have Depot come out and do his end around like he was, and then just reverse it to Mozart, who would have powered through on the other side, I think they would have definitely um, would have gotten something going. Even if they didn't get it, even if they didn't like fully get it, you're still burning clock. You're still wasting time. You're still, you know, giving your defense a chance to rest and not be fatigued. But they were just out there for that. The, the 49ers were out there more than the Chiefs were. I mean, the Chiefs' defense were. But, you know, I I, I think they did them wrong. But um, Yeah. And, again, Garoppolo didn't show up in the fourth uh not certainly like he was doing in the other quarters i thought he was he was actually playing pretty well um he wasn't asked to do much in the packers game but when he was asked to do something he was able to succeed at it i'm thinking of uh you know i think it was at this point the packers had already scored one or two touchdowns so suddenly it's like oh it's 27 14 it's actually kind of close now uh he made a nice third down throw to kittle uh passed the sticks and you know got the first down kept the drive going and i believe they scored a field goal and that kind of that put it away like, okay now it's three scores again and and yeah, the Packers scored a couple more times, but it it effectively ended the game on that drive. Uh, and again, super clutch play to Kittle to to extend it. So that didn't happen here when when they really needed to at the end. I mean, again, you're doing well in the first three quarters, but as you mentioned, Alessandro, when your defense is starting to get tired in the fourth, and they're starting to that you know that that first long touchdown drive, especially um, I can't remember how long the drive was, but it, it seemed like it took up most of the fourth quarter when they scored at the six seventeen mark. Uh, so. You know, the, maybe not most of the fourth quarter, but I think it, it probably took up about four minutes of uh, clock time. And so uh, after that drive, you really needed to, okay, they, they're they coming back. They're within, I think at that point, they would have been within uh, within three. So you really needed to extend play and, and really kill the clock and not give them time. And, and as you mentioned, Garoppolo and the 49ers just weren't able to do it. Nope. And, and some people want to, you know, point fault at Shanahan. He played a little too scared. Maybe, you know, that... I don't know how you feel about right before halftime and that clock management. I would say clock management debacles on both sides, really. Because, um, okay, so you look about the situation. Uh, you know, the Chiefs are punting. And about, I think it was about a minute 40 left. And both teams just decide to run it out, run out the clock. Like, the, the 49ers aren't calling a timeout to to generate as much time as possible and then, you know, give themselves a chance to come back and, and take a lead, maybe. Uh, and the Chiefs... I mean, obviously, I think at that point, the Chiefs were trying to kill the clock, so that makes sense. But then suddenly, uh, you know, the 49ers get it. First down doesn't go so well. Then Andy Reid, or then, you know, Shanahan calls timeout. They go again on, on second. Um, and 
I, I, you know, they again didn't succeed, and then Reed called the timeout, which I thought was curious, because then he was suddenly trying to, oh, we can get the ball back here. Well, if you can get the ball back, why wouldn't you then just punt quickly? I, I just thought that at that point, if you're Andy Reed, you just want to leave it tied. I, I, I didn't think there was going to be much chance of getting much time at all to get the ball back. So I, I don't know why you wouldn't just clock it out, time time out there. But then, you know, I thought he was doing the 49ers a favor because they were refusing to call timeouts. So it was just it was kind of a clock management mishap on both sides. Uh, I know everyone's going to point towards Shanahan. I also think there's a bit of that on Reed too, but yeah, it certainly did seem like he was, he was trying to play it safe there, which, you know, you knew they, you knew they were getting the ball back at the end at, at the, to start the next half. So I don't necessarily mind it playing safe, especially against the chiefs. You really didn't want to give them a, a second shot. Um, and I mean, it almost worked too. I mean, the, there was the Kittle caught the pass and he got the offensive pass interference. And actually, that would have doubled up his fantasy performance if, if that wasn't called back. That would then he would have had a decent fantasy game, but the refs kind of took that away from him. Um, and and so then the you know they just knelt down on the next play and, and called their quits there. But it just seemed as though you know Shanahan could have set that team up better. Uh, you know, if you call time, you don't let them kill time on the punt. You get that ball back with a minute 46 left. You go, you've got options to, to do things, but still not enough time that you're that worried about the Chiefs. So I thought that was kind of a moment where he he didn't necessarily handle it well. But as I mentioned earlier, I, I don't really have much an issue with his his play calling. Yeah, they, they were running, but they weren't really able to succeed running much. They Again, each running back and, and Debo as well, each broke off a big run. But aside from those big runs, that's, you know... You know, wasn't really there wasn't really much else there. Uh, so, but you know, the three of them combined, the two running backs, Mostert, Coleman, and, and Debo, they combined for a hundred and forty yards rushing. Am I calculating that right? Uh, yeah, hundred forty yards rushing, um, and I guess sixty, or I guess uh, sorry, yeah, sixty-six yard of those yards ended up on three runs alone. So almost half their rushing production, well, not quite almost half, but, you know, more than a third of it came on just three runs, one from each of them. So outside of those big runs, it was really held in check. And I thought, again, kudos to the Chiefs run defense, especially but defense overall. Uh, you have anything else to say about the Super Bowl? No, I mean, you covered it all, and we've been beating it to death, and we all watched, I mean. <laughs> Presuming. For presuming, but you know, th- there is one funny thing. Uh, this is the most watched Super Bowl. The 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 viewer ratings actually were the highest it's been in the past four years. <laughs> Kyle, I wonder why that is. Well, you know, big teams draw crowds, right? And it's it's a little surprising that you know the, the you know the Patriots you'd expect would be like, oh, that that's a big driver and wants to watch the Patriots. But it almost seemed like maybe Mahomes is now that new. You know, the, the Mahomes and the Chiefs are the new team that really drives the NFL in terms of, uh, you know, what fans want. And and I, know, and I know part of it is I think people are just fed up with the Patriots, too. Pretty much. Uh, we, we were all just, you know, fed up with them. And I think we're finally ready to see something else. And we finally got something else. And it was a good game. And we were all tuned and we loved it. So, uh, I believe the next thing we'll talk about here is actually uh, some of our, you know, we talked about the, the Super Bowl being the, the, the NFL's biggest prize, but for fantasy football, it's usually week 16 when you have those fantasy championships. That's when, you know, that's when the, the real glory is made for us fantasy football people. I mean, uh, watch, watching the game, cool, it's 
oh yeah, that they, you know they're giving their all in the field and it's tremendous athletic feats, but it's not us, right? We're greedy, we're selfish. Nah, not greedy and selfish, but uh, but there is that competitive edge that I know I love to compete and I love to to win things and I, I love to you know, especially fantasy football. I want to win every league I play and was able to do so you know in three leagues this year uh, and I thought one of the thi- one league in particular. I felt there were some clear lessons to be taken from some things I did well and some things I didn't do so well on. And, and the things that really worked out really helped my team. And, you know, I've got a few, you know, I've got a few general things about one team in particular that I want to address. And so will Alessandro. Uh, So I'm going to start with, with my team this year. So a 2019 success story for me was a a dynasty league, actually Uh, super flex. So again, the ability to start two quarterbacks every week, you don't have to, but um, it was actually pretty cool. And I like leagues like this because it, it allows for flexibility. But uh, when there's very minimal starting requirements, we have, uh, I believe it's, we have nine starting spots on the team. One quarterback, one running back, one wide receiver, one tight end, and then five flex spots. Or sorry, uh, it's ten. it's 10 total. Yes, 10 total, uh, six flex spots, and one is super flex. So <clears throat> that, again, that allows you to, to build your teams you know, in very flexible ways. There's, uh, You can balance all four positions, or you can hammer one in particular. Uh, and I think the scoring settings really kind of dictate how you go about it. But uh, it's half-point PPR, and there's also a premium on tight ends, and the tight ends got a full-point PPR. It's also a half-point for first down. Uh, rushing, receiving, and passing, which is something I don't usually see in first down leagues. Usually it's, you know, the quarterbacks will only get the first down points if they actually run it themselves, not when they pass for a first down. But this league did, so it also kind of elevated quarterback scoring. It being a super flex league, it already kind of added, you know, there's already emphasis on the quarterback position to begin with. Uh, So the one thing, and this is kind of, this is really general to any super flex league, whether it's Dynasty, Redraft, but specifically in Dynasty, um, and I'm going to steal something from uh, you know former guest of ours, the uh, John Hogue from the Superflex Super Show at Superflex Dude on Twitter. Uh, he's always saying this: in a dynasty startup, or in a dynasty league, especially Superflex leagues, the cheapest places to get the quarterbacks are in the startup. And you know, John, I know he's famous for he'll take seven, eight quarterbacks in the startup, and then that way he has so much trade leverage. And even then, he says he rarely trades them because he just he, he feels like he needs to always have way more than what he needs in terms of quarterbacks in case any of them get hurt. You, you don't want to be the one that's desperate at quarterback. Um, but I took I you know, didn't go that extreme, but I still took four guys that ended up being quality starters at the end of the year, and I was you know I got lucky that none of them got hurt really uh, that I didn't need more. But uh, I ended up taking Jameis Winston, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Dak Prescott all in the the mid rounds or not, not well early mid. Uh, single digits still of course super flex but you know a little later than what i was expecting to be able to get three quarterbacks so uh that was that was kind of neat actually maybe the tight end premium pushed up some tight ends a little further uh but i ended up getting yeah winston late fourth garoppolo mid fifth and then dak mid seventh which i thought one of the steals of the draft really end up being the quarterback two i uh, i believe yeah, yeah, he was a quarterback too in this in this scoring format uh, because we also had extra points for interceptions. So Winston only ended up finishing quarterback five, not not top three. 
just because we uh, there's a little bit more emphasis on, on negative points for interceptions in this league. It's minus three, but if you throw a pick six, it's an extra minus three. So uh, that was uh, still he was actually pretty good still regardless of that. But but again, the point was having those three quarterbacks was great. But then I ended up uh, just because super flex and uh, the idea is you don't just grab the guys that are starters. You grab guys that could potentially start. Uh, and I'm looking at some of the quarterbacks that went in the late rounds. And actually, Jacoby Brissett went in the 21st round. And this was we, – we, we did a startup in June or July. So the news of – you know, Andrew Luck retiring wasn't anywhere close to being on our radar about it. Um, and that's when, you know, there was a big – you know, once all the starters were gone by the, you know, by the 12th round, quarterbacks really dried up. And uh, between the 13th round and – the 21st round, there only ended up being four quarterbacks taken, but then a bunch of them went late, and it's a lot of these, like, maybe starters. Uh, I took Tannehill in the 23rd round, and again, how well he did down the stretch, how well he did in the playoffs and helped me perform in the playoffs, one of the steals of the draft, maybe maybe the best value pick of the entire draft, and I'm looking at who went around him. You had Brett Ripien from the, the Broncos, 22, you know, 22.6. Jared Stidham, 22.7. Ryan Finley, 22.12. Mason Rudolph, 23.2, which, you know, he got chances to start. He seemed like a good pick, but he just played so poorly that it actually ended up not being that great a pick. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I took Tannehill there, which of those four ended up being great. I mean, Brent Ripien, I mean, let's... I think that was pretty ridiculous. You had Flacco there. You had Drew Locke drafted. And I'm pretty sure when we made this startup, Drew Locke hadn't injured himself. So... For someone to go Brett Rippin, who didn't even play, it was Kyle, Al- it was uh, Brandon Allen that got that, you know, was the bridge between Flacco and, and while they were waiting for for uh, Locke to come on. So kind of paying attention to which quarterbacks have a chance. And I was I was seeing the situation. Okay, Tannehill, he's a former first round pick, and Mariota really struggled last year. They even benched him for for Blaine Gabbert. So my thinking was, okay, the Titans aren't necessarily fully sold on Mariota. Certainly not if you're bringing in Tannehill. So I thought he had a he had a decent enough chance to start, more so than Jared Stidham or Brett Rippon. So I thought when those guys went and Tannehill was still there for me at 23rd, I thought, you know, brilliant pick. And then I, I didn't expect that he would be quarterback one uh, for as many weeks as he was or a top five quarterback at the end of the season. Uh, but certainly, you know, you still, the idea is, you, you know, in, in startups and in, in any type of super flex or t- two quarterback format, you want to make sure you get enough quarterbacks. And again, I took some risks not grabbing a quarterback until 4-10. Uh, but then I'll also explain in a second aspect of how I, I navigated that and, and what were the reasons for that. Uh, because even though, it, I guess actually it was my fourth pick, but I... Uh, uh, so I guess the first thing to, about that, do you want to... Do, do you have any experience with Superflex and, and 2QB? I know it was something you hadn't really done last season. Did you did you make the Superflex jump this year, Alessandro? I quasi-made that Superflex jump. I did uh, Superflex in DFS... Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I um, I, I did DFS, so I uh, I did a couple of FanDuel type um, leagues where they did week to week for DFS, and um, so how that worked was, you know, I would draft on say like a Tuesday, right? And I would draft week to week, you know, depending if I wanted to get back in the league or not, because I could I could be in the league all season long. But I, I I didn't like if I didn't want to participate I didn't draft. Yeah, yeah. The beauty of DFS is that you can really go week to week about it, about your about your commitment. I mean. Yeah, so I'll still be uh, playing the same the same players. Um, so um, 
Yeah, so if I wanted to play, then I would put in, you know, whatever the money amount was, and I would, you know, draft, so to speak, with them. Well, uh, so for me, after listening to you guys and listening to the Superflex guys and, you know, doing all that, I uh, I decided to hold back, and I didn't draft a quarterback until the fourth round. And then I drafted a quarterback in the fourth and fifth round. In the first three rounds, I went... Um, I, I actually had the lowest pick, and so I went tight end, then I went running back, and then I went running back again. Yeah, that's I mean that's and that's fair. I mean, a, you know, a, a one twelve, you may even have a chance at Kelsey, but certainly a Kittle would have been a great pick there. Uh, and then any run, one of those running backs, whether it was like a Nick Chubb or a Dalvin Cook, were kind of going in that range. Like either those were were awesome picks. And yeah, I think there was enough this year. It seemed like it was a great year for those mid to late round quarterbacks. And I know one thing I've talked about is I had a ton of Dak Prescott and Lamar Jackson on my teams because to me those those guys were kind of that low end. I, I had them in you know in my tier two at the at the bottom end of that tier two. But you know a guy like Baker Mayfield who was going so early in drafts i had it all in that same tier and yeah i had baker at qb uh qb four or five i know you guys kind of got on me of, of him being too either and clearly he was but i ended up having zero shares of baker this year because even though he was qb five i didn't feel I, I he was still going too early for me in drafts because people were drafting him closely to where they were drafting watson and rogers and i thought there should have been a gap you know those first three were kind of to me a, a tier of their own they're you know mahomes watson rogers those were the guys I was willing to reach for. And then the next kind of set of guys, Baker, Matt Ryan, I wasn't quite willing to go where they wanted. And I would just wait a bit and Dak and Lamar would be right there. And I think, okay, they're all the same tier for me. So no difference. And it turns out they, they, Lamar and, and Dak were QB one and two in, in depending on formats, but certainly top three quarterbacks, both. So uh, this year was definitely a great year to, to wait a little bit, but you know, again, not wait too much. Cause as I mentioned, I, I you know, I stocked up on my other positions, but you know, hammered them round, hammered the quarterback rounds four, five, and, you know, Prescott and seven. And I felt that was, you know, at least getting that way, getting that exposure, getting those three main starters, and then lucked out, whatever, but lucked out that Tannehill was there that long, maybe lucked out that he got to start and was that great. But still, uh, I think the need to take more than what you need at quarterback is usually a, a smart decision. So in a league like this, at least four, I think four is kind of the minimum I'd have been comfortable with. And it doesn't have to necessarily be four main main starters, but, you know, make that fourth guy someone who has a strong potential to start. Uh, so, again, look for those types of situations this year. I mean, there's still some... We, we have no idea where a lot of free agents and rookies are going, but there'll, there'll be some situations that kind of point, ooh, there might be a quarterback controversy there. Those are what we really kind of need to look towards. So, about what you said about Baker Mayfield, I, yeah. uh, I didn't believe in the hype like everyone else did. But I capitalized on it. So I drafted Baker Mayfield because I wanted to draft Russell Wilson. And like I said, I had so in the I I had end of I had the endo I had the uh, end around pick so twelve and thirteen and then you know I had um, the the next you know end over slot pick because if that's how the draft was so um, end of one round beginning of next round that's what my picks were. I wanted to pick Russell Wilson because I knew in redraft Russell Wilson was king, or you know his style of quarterback was king. Couldn't Deshaun was gone, Mahomes was gone, uh, Dak was gone, so I took Baker. I took Baker, and in my next pick, I took um, Goff. 
And so everyone started hyping up the Browns. And I, and I went up to the guy who had Dak, and I said, hey, do you want to trade? I'll give you Baker Mayfield and Odell if you give me Dak and Robbie Anderson. He said, sure. That was definitely was um, great about it. Yeah, because uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, you you give me that trade offer, I would I would definitely have taken that one hundred percent. Baker and Odell, give me that stack, oh boy, and we'll talk about stacks later. Not just a DFS thing, apparently. Uh, but yeah, great great trade. <laughs> and, and, and don't get me wrong, like I, I didn't want to give up Odell, but you know, I got Robbie out of it, which I was able to trade Robbie later on for someone else. Can't remember who. I think it was in a package deal for someone else. But I gave up Odell to get Dak because I need a quarterback with a rushing upside. And I know Dak's not a huge rushing upsider, but, you know, he has Zeke to throw the check down to. And Zeke, you know, he's a freak. So, you know, and uh, it turns out that I did pretty good because Dak did almost 5,000 total yards. He did a couple hundred yards rushing plus a couple of rushing touchdowns. And then Baker Mayfield, well, we saw what happened with Baker. So um, I think all in all, I did pretty good on that deal. It hurt a little bit. DJ Moore did. Mm-hmm. I, Ooh, uh, nice. I, yeah. I, got DJ, I got DJ Moore out of that package deal. And DJ Moore finished with wide receiver rank 16. So, yeah. yeah. And, and Robbie finished wide receiver 40. So, I mean, I think I did pretty good on that. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say so, too. Uh, and actually, that's a great transition into my next point of uh, something that happens in, in startup drafts. Again, this was a, a league that, you know, it's a dynasty, but this was our first season. So I'm glad that one season in, I'm the only champion so far. Haha. Um, but in this in in the startup trading, this was a, you know, and maybe not every startup allows you to trade. But uh, in this startup, yeah, we were perfectly allowed to trade um, through the first poor four picks there weren't any trades everything kind of went ho-hum it was Barkley Mahomes Hopkins McCaffrey nothing too shocking there um and then I'm sitting at 105 and uh someone offers me uh and just to trade down one spot uh and I I felt okay Zeke was going to be the guy I was going to take so I felt someone wanting to trade up one spot meant that they had Zeke much higher than Kamara whereas I was they were in the same tier for me so I, I didn't mind at all trading down from Zeke to Kamara and so uh, I got an extra, I think what we ended up doing was we swapped, like, I got an extra fifth to give up and gave up an extra six. Like, I basically just moved up a, a full round of pick. Um, that ended up being a, I, I made so many trades in the startup, and we, unfortunately, I don't have that information written down. So I'm just looking at the startup and where the picks are. But uh, one thing I ended up getting in that was an extra, uh, as I mentioned, an extra fifth round pick, and I used that to draft Garoppolo. So I'm looking at it as... You know Zeke for Kamara and Garoppolo in a super flex. I'll take the Kamara Garoppolo as well as Zeke did, and you know Kamara was a bit disappointing. Came alive in the playoffs when I really needed him, which was nice. Uh, obviously, that's why you know championship team because that, you know the one thing you take away from that is you had to have you have to have good playoff performances from your players to win a championship more than anything else. You have the best team, but if they you know if they blow it in the playoffs for you, you're done. Like there's there's no there's no hope to kind of recover that. So. Um, you know, great playoff performances, Kamara. Not a great overall season, but I'll still take you know the running back and the quarterback just for one running back for sure. Because again, super flex and quarterbacks are kind of king. So the you know the price of going down from Kamara to Elliot or Elliot to Kamara, that's 
you know, to me is not, that's not nearly a, a quarterback's worth. So to get a quarterback out of it, I think is, is brilliant for me. Uh, so yeah, again, trading down, I find in startups is better. You want to accumulate as many assets as possible. What I didn't, where I, I didn't find success was when I traded up in the startup. Um, I remember I, and I traded, uh, you know, I, I guess I was hoping, I was hoping Kelsey would fall to me and he didn't. Um, and so thinking that maybe Ertz and Kittle wouldn't get around, uh, you know, I, I basically, I went Julio 208 and I really wanted to also go one of either Ertz or Kittle. And I didn't, I wasn't convinced that they would come back around to me at 305. So I traded, uh, you know, again, it's part of those, part of some of the picks I got in that first trade. I used some of those to trade up and I drafted Zach Ertz. Now, obviously, I should have gone Kittle, and I've actually since corrected in this league. After I won the title, I went out, and one of the first things I did was I traded Ertz plus my 112 to get Kittle, and I think I'll make that move 100% of the time now, especially their, given their age and the kind of the injury history that Ertz has, you know, you know, had his first few seasons, escaped it, but now this year was a year where he was banged up, and he's 29, so I thought, time to move on, but if I had just waited... I probably would have gotten good value. I mean, it ended up uh, Russell Wilson ended up going in this in the spot that I traded for that my three hundred five, and uh, and I remember that I remember uh, that person said you know they were going to take Wilson no matter what. So if, you know maybe Ertz or Kittle actually falls to me, and if not, maybe I get a Nick Chubb fall to me or a Dalvin Cook fall to me. Um, so I you know, trading up didn't wasn't the greatest move, uh, but certainly I, I found more success when I was trading down. And then once uh, after the initial few trades, and again, uh, two of the quarterbacks I ended up picking actually came uh, in picks that I traded for. Uh, the Winston pick and the Garoppolo pick both were not my own picks, but other people's picks that just became traded for. And my own pick was Dak. But um, so I also found that was strategic that in the startup, part of the reason I could kind of wait till the fourth, fifth round is because then I was I was then aggressively trading to get quarterbacks. Okay, I'm going to trade here and make sure I pick a quarterback. Um, so yeah. I think uh, that's the yeah. So my thing is again, trading down is always is usually a better case than trading up unless you're getting a wicked deal and you're and it's not really costing you much to trade up. Sure, go ahead, but for the most part, in a startup, you want to accumulate the most amount of assets. I've heard people say that they'll they'll go and trade their first and second round pick away, and they'll they'll basically just make all these moves to where they don't pick till the third round, but then they have half the third and fourth round of themselves. And the amount of, of that second tier of players, you you build your basically your whole starting lineup right there in that third and fourth round. And if, if you're hitting on most of those picks, you know, brilliant. And you're going to, you do really well. I mean, in some cases, Nick Chubb was a third round pick in startups. Aaron Jones was clearly a third round pick. Leonard Fournette, third round pick. So if you focused and got all those guys, you were laughing. And maybe, you know, Chris Godwin, another guy that kind of that third, fourth round. So uh, trading down better than trading up. I think that's something that's not something I've invented. I've definitely heard a lot of that, but I felt that I didn't necessarily believe it until this draft. And and I, you know, looking back and seeing how the season went, the trades that I made where I traded down were much more successful for me than the ones where I traded up. Uh, and then the the last quick thing is, uh, you know, what you need for every team is to nail your mid round picks. Uh, I got Damian Williams eight oh eight, Mark Andrews thirteen oh five. And I, I, I talked about Tannehill earlier being the best value pick. Mark Andrews, 1305, was by far one of the best value picks of this draft. And um, I knew I could kind of let him go late, especially even in a tight end premium. I was surprised how late I let him go. Even I, I looking back, like, Ooh, it was almost a mistake, but it wasn't because I, I still got him. Um, I'm looking at some of the tight ends that went ahead of him. 
Jay Sternberger, 1301. Vance McDonald, 1203. Irv Smith, 1205. Kyle Rudolph, 1108. Like, you know, almost two rounds ahead of Mark Andrews. Chris Herndon, 1111. Uh, Jared Cook, 10.05. Dallas Goddard, 10.07. Austin Hooper, 10.10. Austin Hooper had, had a decent season. Uh, TJ Hawkinson, the rookie, and, and Noah Fant, both of them went in the ninth round. I got a second-year player four rounds later that ended up being a, a top-five tight end. So, um, you know, definitely got a good steal on Mark Andrews there. Um, and, yeah, you just, I, you know, when those guys fall, you kind of have to take them. Like, even Damian Williams, 8.08. Um, I think at that point, Carlos Hyde was there. So there, people were kind of scared off of Williams. Uh, I know at some points, especially after Hyde got cut, he started going back up into the, you know, fifth, fourth, even third round. But at that point in the summer, when he was going to the eighth round, it was, you know, Damian Williams is a value. And and I I think this is the only share I have of Damian Williams right now. I don't think I had him in any redraft leagues because by the time redraft started, he was, again, he was back to that fifth round. I wasn't willing to take him there, but give me Damian Williams in the eighth round. I was thinking... You know what? He has a chance to be a starting running back on one of the most high-powered offenses. Uh, sure, I'll I'll grab Damian Williams. the The need for running back wasn't that deep, and I ended up p- taking four running backs in those next five rounds. Um, which usually I don't usually wait that long to build running back depth. But the fact that we only had to start one in this league was, I think, a big factor on on my draft strategy. And that's and I think that maybe the important lesson here is. Tailor your strategy and drafts to what your league is, specifically starting lineup requirements. Because if you have to start four wide receivers every week, well, that position is going to be more important than, say, a one-star position like a tight end position. You're going to, you know, I'll punt tight end all day if I, you know, make sure I get my, at least my four wide receivers before I even look at a, at a tight end. Um, but again, with this scoring format, it made it so, again, depth at each position isn't necessarily as important. If you only have to find one starter every week, if you're great at other positions, you know, you don't necessarily need that many running backs. So, um, but I still think, you know, again, go for high upside guys like a starter, like like Damian Williams. Um, and actually, Chris Carson might have been also been a, a great steal. He ended up going nine oh three in that draft. Um, I took Royce Freeman two picks later. That didn't seem that great. Uh, but yeah, so just uh, some of those mid tier running backs. Miles Sanders eight eleven. Um, you know, especially when when David Montgomery and, and Josh Jacobs were going much earlier. That was another steal. So uh, those mid-tier running backs, if you if you can afford to, to wait and strengthen another position, sometimes those mid-tier running backs, like even a Carlos Hyde, I got him 12.08. And he wasn't great this year, but he you know for a 12th round pick, he did enough for you as a you know consistent week in week out guy. And when you're you need to put a starting lineup in every week, sometimes those those floor consistent players that can get you close to double digits every week that that's useful if you've got the team around it with enough upside. And I did with again Julio Jones, Mark Andrews, Damian Williams, and some great quarterback performances made it so a guy like Hyde in your lineup every week is is useful. Uh, so I think that's uh, pretty much it for this. Did you have any questions or any comments to make about anything I said? No, I think I'm good. Okay. Uh, did you want to talk about one of your teams now then? Uh, yeah. So, um, the league I won my league in, um, I did things a little bit differently than you. Uh, so, obviously, uh, if it's not Superflex, it's Redraft. Um, ugh, excuse me. Yeah, so, when I did this, I decided that I wanted to go running back heavy first. And um, my final team is not actually what I started with. So... The team that I started with, uh, initially, I had um, I had picked uh, Christian McCaffrey, 
I think 102, 103, something like that. Um, then I and then in the next round I grabbed Nick Chubb, and the next round after that I grabbed Cooper Cup. After that I grabbed George Kittle, and then after that I grabbed um, Brandon Cooks, then Jared Goff, Josh Allen, and a whole litany of guys going all the way down. Well. It, it was great having that three stack because when I start playing with players, I either want to have a stack of, you know, wide receiver. I, I usually, when I stack, I usually do the wide receiver stack because I'll do um, the quarterback, at least one or two wide receivers of a high-powered offense, so to speak, or one or two wide receivers and a very good offense, just even that, and I'll pick the defense up later. So that way I'm not working against myself, you know, when I'm playing someone else. So it's a combination of the two. When I saw that Jared Goff was not going to work out for me, I decided to shop around. I saw that Carson Wentz was available. And, excuse me, I I didn't have Josh Allen. Uh, I I had someone else. I think I had Sam Darnold, but he had Mono at the time. So I I was shopping around. I shipped out. Sam Darnold, um, yeah, I shipped out Sam Darnold, Jared Goff, and um, I gave up James Conner for um, DJ Moore, uh, Josh Allen, and um, Jared Cook. So when I was doing this, I decided, you know, because I don't have the stack of that anymore, that I was going to make another stack. So... I, I did Alshon Jeffrey for one week. I did, you know, um, Nelson Aguilar for another week. Jason G. Sega, our side, another week. So I have a wide receiver QB stack. Well, nothing was working for me. So then I turned on to Josh Allen. Josh Allen had Cole Beasley and John Brown. And that stack actually did really well for me. So my, my final starting lineup, um, well, my starting lineup at that point would be uh, Josh Allen as my quarterback, Chris McCaffrey as my RB1, Nick Chubb as my RB2, Cooper Cup as my wide receiver 1, John Brown as my wide receiver 2, Kittle at my tight end, and I would flex between John Brown, Cole Beasley, and um, Jared Cook as my flex spot because, you know, it, it's just a matter of the matchup for that week. And then for my kicker in defense, I I couldn't get the Rams defense for obvious reasons. So I decided to um, pick up another defense. I thought that was good, like a little sleeper defense. And I picked up the Colts defense. And when I was looking at defenses, I was like, okay, I want major offensive line guys. I want guys that are solid. And I was thinking about picking up the Jets defense because they were – I wouldn't say solid. It they, they weren't they weren't that solid last year, but because they added pieces in the off season, I thought I could go with my home team. Was not the case. They did good, but you know the number one fantasy team was the Patriots for obvious reasons. The Jets unfortunately finished. I'm pulling it up right now. They finished tenth overall. So they they finished as uh, defense ten, and so Colts finished as defense twelve. So I, I took a little bit of a hit there, 
because I went back and forth. But um, no, I so I had um, the Colts, and then I also decided to pick up um, the other defense, the um, Eagles defense, because uh, since I had Carson Wentz on my team, I was not going to fight myself. Like I said, I, I could not do it because I did that before where some guy would have my QB's defense and or or the defense that he was playing or my QB's defense, and I'll be fighting against myself because while he uh, while I'm on offense, he's, he's on defense, and I have guys going against my offensive player. So I, the way I, I work it is I want guys from a different division so that way when it, it comes to time to play, I have the least likely chance of them crossing over so that way the guy who has Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott is not facing the guy that has Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley and the Cowboys defense or the Giants defense. So that way he's not working against uh, – he's working against himself and I don't have to work against him. And so I, I won this league – I won the league 128 to 87 because the guy, he put in a couple of really bad players – <laughs> but um, no. It, it, in the end, it finally did good for me. So um, well, McCaffrey just was being McCaffrey, and he balled out. Thank the Lord. So um, the final score for the final starting team between me and this guy was he had Carson Wentz. I had Carson Wentz. He had James Winston. McCaffrey to his Leonard Fournette. Nick Chubb to his Chris Carson. Cooper Cup to his Tyree Kill. DJ Moore to his AJ Brown, George Kittle to his OJ Howard. I had McCon- I have James uh, Connor in there to his Devontae Parker. Um, I had the Raiders kicker to his Falcons kicker, uh, Koo. He had the Patriots defense. I had the Colts uh, defense, and I was able to win it off of that because the Colts were playing Carolina. And that's when they crushed them thirty-eight to six. So. Um, that's definitely helpful, but when I go back through my thing and to my other teams, because uh, I have multiple teams, I always try to do it the same philosophy. Whoever you get as a wide receiver in a draft, stack them up with a QB. That way you're getting double the points and you keep rolling with it. If you can't get your wide receivers QB and you have a different running back from another team, grab that QB. Always stack up on points. If you cannot get a QB of your team, but you can get the next wide receiver. Like, let's say you have wide receiver one and you can get wide receiver two, get wide receiver two. So that way, no matter it, you're always playing in tandem. And because you're always playing someone who, let's say, you know, the guy three weeks from now has your QB and you have his two wide receivers. Well, I mean, unless he's going to keep checking it down to the running back, he's going to have to throw your wide receivers and that powers you up as well as him. But, you know, it always ends up working out in the end because you're powered up more than him. He's giving you points while making a little bit of points himself. You're getting points from your own team, and that balance is like you guys playing a roulette wheel in a casino. It doesn't work for you. It works against you. So I always try to follow that philosophy. And I've won a couple of championships like this. I lost a few, and I've just... I've lost two, one, four, 
and I've been in the middle of the pack or the upper middle pack in the rest of my league. So it's been working out so far. It's just you got to find the right matchups. And even if you have to dig deep and think about teams like you got to get over your prejudice about the Jets and the Colts and the Jaguars and the Browns and the Bengals because there are gems on those teams that do really good. And if you just say, oh, well, he's a Jets player, he's not going to do anything. But then Jameson Crowder, you know, he, he goes off and he scores all these fantasy points where you look at the Bengals and you're like, oh, Joe Mixon's just nothing because he's on a terrible offense. Well, he could score, you know, 196 yards, three touchdowns. They could still lose, but he made all those production points. And so you just it's just a matter of getting over one's prejudice towards teams and not favoring your own team as much. You got to branch out. I think it's a, a very great point, and the, the st- especially about the stacking option, but just you know thinking about the teams themselves, and uh, you know we stack in DFS especially for that reason you mentioned maximize points. Oh yeah, this quarterback's gonna pass this wide receiver, I get double the points. But you brought up a really good point uh, as another reason why you do that is to prevent it being split. Because nothing's worse than okay, oh, you've got a great quarterback, but suddenly you're, you know, in a championship game, you're playing against the, that quarterback's top wide receiver, and suddenly every time he passes the ball to that receiver, you're getting further behind because wide receiver, you know, receiving yards are worth more than passing yards typically. Receiving touchdowns worth more than passing touchdowns. So any big play that happens from that quarterback to receiver, it's actually costing you. You're actually losing off it. So it prevents that, especially that quarterback wide receiver stack. But you were saying kind of quarterback running back or anytime, you know, get even even the defense, which I wouldn't have thought of that at all, uh, stacking a defense with your offensive players to prevent them from playing against each other, especially if you have tons of stacks on, on one team. And, you know, be smart about how you stack, though, too. I think it would be the only thing I say. Because I remember a few years ago, when this is, I think, this might have been the Christian Ponder-led Vikings. And I remember playing a league with a Vikings fan. And he legit had, like, six Vikings players at the end. You know, Christian Ponder, Kyle Rudolph, AP, which is, okay, you're, you know, at that point, you're taking AP, that's fine. Like, he's great. But then to just, you know, full focus on, you know, Laquan Laquan Treadwell. He's so irrelevant, I can barely say his name. Um, sorry, Laquan Treadwell. Um <laughs> But, uh, they, you know, it, they didn't do it intelligently because they had so many Vikings players at a time when that offense wasn't really, you know, that great. And, I mean, you mentioned the, the, the teams that you were stacking with, and those, you know, those were decent enough offenses that the points that, you know, you could easily see the points being scored for those teams. Um, so, yeah, uh, great point about the stack and just about, you know, considering what teams these players play for on in general, but don't let it. You also said a good point. Don't let it freeze you. Don't, you don't you don't be biased to certain teams like oh oh they play for the Jets. That's a bad offense. Oh the Bengals bad offense. No, there were gems. I mean I think about the Bengals this year. Tyler Boyd was going late enough, but if you you know if you got John Ross, maybe you got a good week out of him. There, there were you know there were moments where where certain players kind of emerged. I mean the Bengals actually isn't that great of an example that I think of. Uh, um, but like Miami, right? If you had said completely ignore Miami, you would have not taken Devonte Parker, and you would have you would have missed out entirely there. Yeah, and I think another thing is, you know, when people think about stacking and they think about trying to get the most amount of points, they think about, you know, the the Dallas Cowboys, how Dak has that rushing upside, how they you they 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 try to go for the big names. What you want to do is, yeah, grab the big names, grab the guys you could get, but then then like find the, the the second wide receiver, the third wide receiver, the guy that is looking to be the breakout star, the one that's you know 
on a contract year. You know, Dak Dak Prescott was on a contract year, and if you look at his years before, I mean, he was a top fifteen quarterback, but. You know, he wasn't on a contract year those years. Now he's on a contract year. He finishes at, what, QB1, QB2, something like that? Again, depends on scoring setting. In my one particular league, I was just referencing he was QB2. Um, I know in other cases where interceptions weren't as bad, Winston actually passed him. He was QB3, but essentially pretty much across the board QB3 this year. Or a top three QB. So top five QB, let's say, at very yeah, minimum. Yeah. Oh. Um, you know, it's just... A matter of he's in a contract year. In in my league that I referenced, he was QB two right behind Lamar Jackson. Um, yeah. But yeah, QB year, and so I mean, excuse me, contract year, and so he wanted to show out. He wanted to show that he could still ball and still play and be relevant and make enough noise to get make sure he gets paid. You got guys like Russell Wilson who already got paid but are still doing the same type of thing. You guys got like Lamar Jackson coming into the league trying to prove something like like unless he, you know that these guys are good the Ben Roethlisberger's the Tom Brady's the guys that are you know mid-tier solid QBs they'll get you the points you know it's it's a gamble you know does this guy have a chip on his shoulder does this guy have a contract coming up like those will make or break the years James Winston had a contract here this year he was QB1 in some leagues he was QB5 in other leagues so Top top five QB overall, but um, in terms of yardage, but the the interceptions killed him. The touchdown interceptions killed him. So, you know, he, he he was a gamble at best. So you have to watch out for guys like that. You know, who are always been questionable, especially in contract years, and that are gambles when you try to do you know redraft or super flex or DFS in general. Well, and I mean, and not every player in a contract year is going to be a great value. You, you just kind of, I mean, Mariota was in a contract year this year, and if you took Mariota, you were really unhappy with yourself, unless you, you paired him with Tannehill late, which would have been smart, and then you, you then you were fine, but you were still wasting the investment of of, um, of Mariota. And I think the reason Dak works so well is, again, he was, he was late for a guy that had been a perennial QB1. Um, I don't think he had finished under QB10 any season of his career yet. It, it's been, you know, it's all been QB7 to QB10, that, that low-end one. I and mean, he finally got to the, the you know, the, the first half of the QB1s this year. He finally made that step. But looking at, at him, I mean, again, he was one of the quarterbacks I got the most exposure to this year because I was just seeing him, you know, as a, as a value in most leagues and just taking the value wherever I, I, I could. And again, him or Lamar Jackson, and you talk about stacks. I won a league on a, well, not just, but the Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews stack was a pretty powerful part of that super flex league. And suddenly, okay, well, I got one of my QB spots and one of my tight end spots. It's set every week and they, and they, you know, really help build off each other. So, uh, yeah, even I use this, the stack sometimes, but I'm going to maybe think about that more in the future and maybe so short listeners of, of considering those stacks in your, you know, when you're making drafts. Uh, what I don't think you want to do though is, is force the issue with, you know, I would think of the one I'm thinking of, let's say you went DeAndre Hopkins, do you really want to invest a, a, a an early third round pick on a quarterback in a one QB league and get Watson to, just to stack with Hopkins? That I think is maybe chasing the stack too much. That's where okay, you, you know, you want to you still want to be drafting for value and taking a quarterback in the third round. As much as he was a, I think he I think he was close to being a top five quarterback this year, but I don't think that was worth that would have been a worthy investment of going that early. 
No. Um, but then again, when you look at it, did you really know that that was going to be to that fact? Or did you just, you know, see what you saw from last year? Because like you said, a lot of this, you know, it, it's not the really same thing. Well, I, I had, I mean, I had Watson at QB2 entering the season, so I was definitely willing to, you know, in Superflex, he's, he was a first-round pick for me in, in Superflex redraft or startups, really, uh, you know, elite or early second, maybe. But, you know, single QB, I really, I really love waiting on quarterbacks. And, as you know, Mahomes in the third, would I still would have considered that probably too early. It would have been tempting, though, but, but uh, I still think that's, again, and that's, it all comes down to value. That's that's basically what I'm, I'm just trying to get to. Is you, you still want to do things when you, you still want to make sure the value is there, and you don't want to force the issue. But when looking at things, these are things to consider. So I think I think you brought up a lot of great points, Alessandro, about why we should consider stacks. And I've you know I've actually learned that from uh, a lot of people because you you want a stack to get the mega points, but you want to make sure you get the right stack. Mm-hmm. You could get you could get any stack, but if you're going to have Andy Reid, AJ Green, that's not a very good stack, you know. Well, Andy Reid doesn't throw the football anymore, so <laughs> Andy Dalton. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm just teasing you. Um, we just, you know, what we didn't mention? We didn't mention that Andy Andy Reid finally won a Super Bowl, and I think you wanted to sneak that in there, so we did, and now and it's mentioned. So uh, kudos to Andy Reid um, for you know. Well, and and yeah, it. I was cheering for the Chiefs mostly for two people. I one was Andy Reid, the other was Laurent Duvernay-Telzif, Canadian, who uh, you know now is a, a Super Bowl champion. So great for him. Uh, and it's also great for Canadian universities because Laurent Duvernay-Telzif was actually drafted out of McGill. He didn't go to the NCAA, but he was so good at, in, in at the Canadian university level that he actually got drafted by the Chiefs, sixth round. Which uh, I remember some experts were saying, like, if, if he had played the NCAA, he probably would have been a third-round pick. They would have had the more familiarity. They would have known the competition level. So there was that hesitation there. But to to like it, you know, Canadian university players don't often get drafted. He wasn't the first, but it's you know maybe once a decade you get get a guy from the, from the Canadian university ranks that actually gets drafted. So for him to do that to get a massive extension with the the Chiefs, I remember looking it up. It was a five year, forty two million dollar extension he signed in twenty seventeen after his rookie deal expired. To you know to get that step to get drafted to get that extension and now get a Super Bowl ring that's going to be huge for uh, Canadian university sports. And maybe give a bit more exposure and uh maybe the chiefs certainly will, will be one team oh we will look a bit more towards uh the canadian talent at the university level so i, I think that's a, just a victory in general it's a great for uh the francophone community of canada who you know, has you know an athlete in a, in a really prime spot right now that's uh you know maybe not a household name he's a right guard right i mean how many people especially on a fantasy show right we really know the offensive lineman but i just uh you know great kudos to to laurent zuvel and uh, maybe one be the only people that'll be speaking his name, but I, I want to make sure I say it. You love saying that name. I do. Show off the French accent. Uh, it's it's it, it's a, just a great sounding name in general. But uh, again, he's someone that doesn't get talked about a lot. And uh, I actually thought he played a really good game in the Super Bowl. He 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 blocked Eric Armstead one on one a lot. There was a you know uh, one I think uh, DeForest Buckner on his sack he beat Lara, so he wasn't he wasn't perfect. But there was a lot of times where he was he was taking Armstead one on one and holding him and it was not holding well maybe holding him. We know there's always holding every play, but like he was you know not letting him get penetration and you know especially from that interior spot. You know guards aren't used to always doing one on one, but Lara is Zivanna Talziff is one of those guards that kind of you can handle you can. You can trust him one-on-one in a lot more than you can most guards. 
So um, I think uh, he definitely played great. I know I had my eyes on him a little bit more than than other players, but uh, I was really impressed, especially how he handled Eric Armstead in particular. Uh, anyway, that's that's it for me. Uh, Alessandro, do you want to mention anything uh, before we go? Uh, no, I think that's it. I mean, we're going to keep this up all offseason for those two in Dynasty, but I think that's it with the regular season going down. Yeah, and I think the plan may not be weekly as much anymore. Uh, certainly bi-weekly, though. You could probably expect something at least every two weeks now. Um, and we're going to kind of create an off-season plan. We don't really have that yet. I know I certainly had plans. Um, unfortunately, Kayla not being here kind of it messed up a little bit of that. And I don't want to blame Kayla. And, and again, happy for her to have these opportunities that she's going to have. Um, hoping to get her back. But, um, you know, there, there might be... There might be some other things that we do here outside of fantasy football. So we're certainly looking in the ba- fantasy baseball sphere because this is, again, this is the full press fantasy pod. We didn't mention specifically fantasy football. Obviously, fantasy football is the focus, but um, I know I I play other fantasy sports as well. Certainly, uh, especially once the, the hockey playoffs get around, I'll definitely want to be doing podcasts about that and some draft strategies because that's one of the things I love probably almost as much as fantasy football is ho- playoff hockey fantasy. Uh and I do fantasy currently, not that that's a, officially a thing yet, but uh, uh, I'll make it a thing someday. <laughs> Heard it here first, folks, fantasy curling. Uh, but yeah, so uh, look for, you know, again, baseball season's going to be kicking off soon. Or kicking off, teeing off, hitting off, pitching off, whatever. I don't know what they do. Um, <laughs> don't worry, I won't be the one giving fantasy baseball advice. We're actually going to bring people on who know what they're talking about. I'm thinking of Tyler Kading, our uh, full press coverage uh, MLB managing editor. He plays fantasy baseball, and he's uh, I've already talked to him, and he's agreed to come on and and kind of share the secrets to, with all of you and as, with us as well. So uh, again, look for those things in the uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at FPC underscore fantasy pod. Uh, your co-hosts, Alessandro at AM underscore Senator, myself, Kyle Senra at Niyama underscore KS. Uh, also check out at FP coverage um, and all for all sorts of the all sorts of great uh content coming from full press coverage and a lot of it is football related right now especially reactions to the super bowl uh so go ahead and check all that out but uh as uh you know as that's as one season ends we get to some other sports coming up so definitely uh check for all that and uh i know uh there's quite a few teams that are going to be doing their uh their draft preps as well so draft profiles um i'll be dropping uh running bank running back uh tape as well uh tape tape grades i'm going to be putting that out shortly i'm still i'm almost done uh, into the the initial part of this tape grind um so that you look for that soon I, I'm, I'm getting there um it'll be one of the probably the first fantasy articles i put out uh or one of the it'll be one of the next fantasy articles i put out i'll be doing some packer stuff as well so again look for all that at full press coverage and at fullpresscoverage.com um be sure to check out the full press radio network uh, for all sorts of great content. Uh, one person you should also follow is Kayla Morton, our uh, currently absentee co-host, who will be back hopefully uh, in the not-so-distant future, at MortonSalt74. Um, check out all the great work. She still is uh, you know, keeping active with the FPC Dolphins, so there'll be some stuff coming out with that. Um, Alessandro, any final words for the people? It was a good Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, that it was indeed, and this was hopefully a good episode of the Full Press Fantasy Pod.